But look, today, I, just with the real assets, obviously, uh, myself, I'll cover off on, on the REIT space with, with Liam, and then Nathan will come in um, at the end um, with the infrastructure names. And, like, clearly, the last year, there's been very mixed uh, performance from the REITs. Uh, tough period, obviously, with the macro, but um, the sector did actually out, slightly outperform the market on the over the last probably 12 months. Looking back at the last quarter, you have seen, uh, as Tim said, the, there is a lot more interest coming back into the space. Uh, obviously, a change in, in time with the macros has driven that. Uh, good December and obviously late January, we've seen sort of a good, good rally in some of the names. And even some of the more beaten up names uh, have posted some actual uh, positive performance. So... When you look at the index, it is very much driven by Goodman Group, which Liam will cover off on. Um, Goodman's a huge chunk of the index now, uh, but you've also seen some really solid returns from HomeCo, which obviously is very well held across the network. Uh, obviously, that Sigma deal as well uh, has driven some increased interest in, in that stock. Uh, and Stockland Group, I think, with the with the turn in view in, in rates, uh, anyone exposed to Resi sort of got a got another look as well. So. Uh, some some big moves there, and I, I think as we obviously last year there was, you know, looking globally, talk of recession risk. Uh, obviously, interest rates are going higher, and and no sort of end in sight. And now, now as we sort of enter twenty four, you have seen that sort of global chat of recession risk uh, lower, uh, particularly in the US. You've you've seen now talk of interest rate cuts coming in at the end of twenty four. So. Definitely some renewed interest in the sector. It may not be right now, but I think as, you know, obviously there's another meeting today, uh, we might get some more commentary, but certainly um, there will be a point where sort of that more general investor will come back to the sector. Uh, but in the interim, we've obviously got reporting season. I think the other thing that's just recently happened that's probably focused a bit on the sector is some M&A activities creeping back in. You saw BWP Trust um, propose a merger with Newmark. Uh, Newmark, small REIT, uh, trading at a deep discount to NTA. I don't think it ever traded over NTA post-IPO. bit smaller, same sector. So uh, that's that sort of, you know, Newmark's been the best performer in the last month um, because of that news. So that sort of focused again on, on where um, particular stocks might be trading and, and what um, might be happening there. So... I mean, there's stocks like Waypoint REIT, um, HPI, which is the pubs that have pretty clean registers trading at big discounts to NTA. So there may be names like that that, that do pop up on people's radar. So uh, I think with that, we'll we'll pass to um, Liam's just going to run through a couple of his stocks. He obviously covers the big, big uh, Goodman. Uh, and then we'll come back for a couple more comments. Thanks, V. So first off, I just wanted to talk about uh, insolvencies. Um, as you can see here, we've put the, the data up here and this is really about construction insolvencies. Um, and you know, this is really in light of the recent St. Helier's administration. So to my mind, St. Helier's is, it's a big developer and a big builder as well. It has defense contracts. It has, uh, I think it's building a retirement village over at one of the race courses up here in Brisbane. You know, it is a, it is a big business. Um, and Qualitas has often talked about the risk from insolvencies in, for builders over the Christmas period. Uh, and this is probably a sign of it. But, you know, I think what I see there in that uh, I, uh, the, the data is that, you know, yes, insolvencies are up, 
but insolvencies for construction businesses are always fairly high. You know, these are fixed price contract businesses that have margins of two or 3%. So it doesn't need a lot to go against them to, uh, to be insolvent. Uh, and you know, I think that it's actually not a bad outcome and it probably shows the stabilization in, in the industry. And if we just come across here, I wanted to talk about perhaps two charts that point to the broader health of that residential and multi-unit market. Uh, a lot's made of the, the decline in approvals of late, but as you can see, they're multi-unit, so apartments in CBDs uh, and the urban fringe, they, they are sort of hovering around average levels, which is not too, too bad. And uh, the other the other sort of uh, index there is the crane index. And as you can see, crane volumes are you know, fairly high, you know, not, not extraordinarily high, but not uh, the doom and gloom that's perhaps painted in some of the media. So on that note, I'll just turn to, to my key pick across the, the space, and that's Qualitas. And as you look across that chart there to the right, it's, yes, it's got an elevated multiple, but it's not alone amongst the peer set but it has far more growth. Um, this is a consensus chart. And as you can see, their consensus is reasonably tight and they have a lot of growth from this business. And, you know, how is that, that growth being delivered? Well, it's about FUM commitments. So FUM's gone to $8 billion. If I go back 12 months, it was probably four. The business has made plans to get to 18 billion of FUM uh, by 2028. So from 4 billion to 8 billion to 18 billion huge growth. Now, that's fund commitments. So they go out there like any fund manager and they raise capital commitments uh, from global LPs. They've done a great job of that. The next job is deploying it. And that's where this business could outperform this year and this result. So uh, at the September quarterly update, they said we have about 2.3 billion of uh, deals in the pipeline. I've got them cementing and distributing 1.9 billion in this first half. Uh, and this is a first half distribution business. Like developers want to get their money in the first half. So that's where I'm looking for them to outperform here. But then that deployment leads to earnings. Uh, and I think that this business can continue to grow earnings above and beyond the peer set. Um, so that's that's why I, I like this business. And then I'll sort of turn, I'll turn to, to Goodman as well. Now we have an ad on it and I'm sort of searching for TSR. Uh, I've got a 24.50 price target. It's trading at pushing 26 times, uh, which is is above the long-term average of about 24 times. You know, this is a business that really only pays out about 30% of its earnings. Most of the REITs, they'll be paying out 80, 90%. So that's how they grow at, at double-digit earnings. But nonetheless, you can't escape the fact that this is a business trading on 25 times, growing at 10 to 15% per annum. Doesn't screen as that attractive. So, so why is it, why could it be attractive? They've got 30 to $50 billion of data center pipeline and globally data centers are the, the real estate sector du jour. Everyone wants to be involved in that. And then it's sort of concertinas down from there. So given that it's 40 odd percent of the index, given it has this exposure to the, the choice asset class, that's why it's getting a bid. Um, you know, I haven't updated my numbers, just pending the result. Why? Well, I wanna see how this, this uh, $30 to $50 billion pipeline plays out. The company's talked about funding more of it on balance sheet and you know, analysts that live in Excel, they just see that as more capital intensity. Uh, I think investors that probably think more uh, 
long term and holistically they see an attractive sector, a big pipeline, an opportunity to grow and a company that's always delivered. So look, we'll see how they go uh, at results. They have a history of uh, beating their guidance expectations. They're guiding to 9% uh, EPS growth. Consensus is, is at 11 to 12 and I'm at 12. So look, I'm there or thereabouts. Um, so we'll just wait and see, see how they, they report. And over, on that note, I'll pass back to Pete. Yeah, thanks, Liam. Look, just, just a couple of areas as we head into reporting season. I think most REITs have reiterated guidance at, at obviously the AGMs late last year or, or the quarterly uh, trading updates uh, earlier this year. So I don't think we'll see much surprise on, on near-term guidance um, and, and rates sort of haven't moved, you know, from where most people were assuming. So uh, you've even seen one REIT yesterday sort of tighten guidance range slightly because now they've got some better certainty on, on rates. So won't be a lot of surprise, I don't think, on, on the outlook um, near term. It will still be focused on obviously um, higher costs and, and that obviously is mainly focused on the interest side. You have seen um, a, lot of, a lot of REITs looking to do asset sales and there has been quite a few done, even though it sort of activity is still very subdued in the first half. So you have seen uh, a, a large focus on on just ensuring balance sheets remain resilient. So um, that will continue to be a focus. I think looking ahead, um, it's it's where those hedges are rolling um, because you are still going to see impacts even if rates get cut. You will still obviously be seeing impacts in in FY24 into 25. So that's just something to watch. Um, obviously, depending on on where things go, but. You know, in general, most balance sheets are in a in a good position. Um, most REITs have got ahead of the curve and, and sold assets and to ensure that um, I guess they have the liquidity. The focus um, has been really on in, with obviously a lot of those proceeds have gone into reducing debt, but most REITs are also looking at development pipelines to get those returns. So you have seen uh, funds just deployed to better returning opportunities and, and quite a few are taking that approach. So I don't think that will change and you'll see a bit more commentary around that with the results. So uh, transactional vo volumes, as I said, have been pretty subdued. Maybe they will pick up as the year, year sort of goes on, but I know one rate that sort of in, is in industrial, obviously one of the strongest sectors and they sold two assets during the half, but it took them nearly a year just to do that. So even if you are selling assets, it's not a it's not a quick process. So uh, that that's something that we'll continue to work through. Um, I think cap rates, obviously, you've seen some REITs come out with some preliminary um, revals coming into results. Um, most of the moves have probably been between sort of, I think national storage was nil, almost one basis point to probably sort of 30, 30 bips with some of the um, longer whale assets. Um, so not many have reported yet, so it's hard to get a clear picture. That's the green, which is which is this first half. But um, certainly cap rate expansion will continue to be a theme. I think rental growth is obviously going to offset um, that, and you have seen that come through, particularly with the industrial guys who are getting very strong uh, releasing spreads. Uh, so we will continue to see see that come through. But to date, most of the moves have probably been between one to sort of surface seven and a bit percent moves in portfolio value. So we'll see um, see where we land at the end of reporting season. But that will that will come through. 
Um, and obviously, just looking at sector um, preference, you know, preference-wise, I think very much industrial logistics, um, you're still getting very strong rental growth, which is the key here. Uh, healthcare, not a lot of choice on obviously the ASX, but it's a it's uh, extremely resilient growing sector. Convenience retail and even the traditional retail guys have performed very well. That's sort of region group, which is just reported this morning, centre group, which obviously three or four years ago were sort of everyone was saying malls were dead, but they've actually been um, beneficiaries of this strong inflation environment and getting uh, positive releasing spreads. So. Uh, Self-storage is the other one. It's, it's actually been very resilient, but obviously you've got two stocks here, National Storage and uh, Abacus Storage King, um, but held up very well and um, seemed to be a lot of, lot of interest in that space uh, across the market. So we, we will do some more work on AS, ASK. And obviously, Home Co Daily Needs is still in our best buys with Dexas Industria Reed. Um, and um, Liam's run through his thesis on, on Goodman Group, but I'll pass to Nathan to run through infrastructure. All right, infrastructure coverage. So that's that uh, summary table that you've seen previously. Yes, uh, the sector has compressed a lot in terms of investable names over the years. So to me, uh, that's the sort of the, the key five. I suppose we could also probably include in there Auckland Airport and, and maybe Chorus as, in, as sort of investable names within the space. But Look, uh, I suppose a couple of things I wanted to point out there was just those distribution growth profiles uh, to the right of the table out beyond the current year. And um, also, I suppose, just to highlight just a, a couple of the, uh, the differences between my valuation and consensus, and I think probably the two that really sort of stand out there are APA Group and, and Transurban, so the two of the biggest within the space. So, look, what I've proposed to do this morning is because I don't talk on these all that much, um, I just want to sort of touch on the, the high-level narrative for each of these different stocks. Okay, so we'll go to APA Group first. So, remember, this is the only remaining energy infrastructure owner uh, listed on the ASX. About 90% of its earnings actually comes from the gas infrastructure portfolio that it's got. It wants to continue to invest in that but also to pivot further, and so it's got some exposure already, but uh, pivot further into electricity transmission and also remote renewable generation. Um, now, what do we sort of evaluate below where uh, others are? Look, it's, it's difficult to unpick that, but let me sort of tell you some of the things that I think are sort of a headwinds for the, uh, for the value of this company. So first up, sustaining costs, so both uh, your sort of you know, asset by asset sustaining capex, as well as what they call foundation costs are going to be going up very large, that's per their guidance. Also, they've got corporate costs and the costs of uh, strategic uh, technology projects are going to be pushing up costs a lot going through their P&L. Costs of capital have increased. Um, so we saw late last year the, the costs of one of their major debt issues um, was quite significantly high. That's locked in for you know 10 years or more. They've also started to use hybrids within their capital structure, which is a step again in terms of uh, how much those actually cost. Equity pressures also, obviously the share price is down, but uh, notice that for the first time in a long time, DRP has been turned on. They reach for more SPP underneath their uh, recent capital raise. So it all sort of points also towards gearing pressures. The other thing that they haven't been paying a lot of, but will be ramping up quite significantly is tax. So when we, um, when we sort of think about the tax losses they've got, they will be getting utilised over coming years. So all these sort of put together you know, a picture of a, a cash flow profile that is in somewhat constrained and then the 
uh, projects they want to invest in, you've got to think about them being multi-year construction phases before they actually get to the earnings. So that puts pressure on their uh, on their gearing metrics. So all in all, um, I'm thinking that you are going to be getting quite low distribution growth coming out of this business for a number of years. Um, for FY24, the distribution growth is less than 2%, so you know 1.8. So even though it has these sort of like a portfolio where a lot of its revenues are supposedly CPI linked, it's just not dropping through to the distribution line for investors. Um, short term, we should be okay in terms of earnings growth, but a lot of that is actually coming through from acquisitions. So that's the Alinta Energy um, Pilbara portfolio that they bought, as well as the Bashlink asset. But you know that is acquired growth, not organic. And then if I look further out in time, and I know for a lot of you, you might say, well, I'm not even going to be here in 12 years' time. But in 12 years' time, they are going to have a cliff face in earnings. About a third of their current EBITDA will disappear. And within their thinking, that's going to be um, impacting what they're doing in terms of capital management and the like. So once again, that feeds into that distribution uh, um, profile going forward. So that's the sort of the high-level narrative on APA. Um, Moving on to Atlas Arteria, look, we already know what the uh, the key risk is here. That's the other uh, the traffic and toll revenues. Fourth quarter, that's already come out. So just as a reminder, key um, assets for this portfolio are in France and the US. Uh, distribution guidance is forty cents per share. They say that's sustainable. I think it's sustainable for a couple of years. So FY twenty four, twenty five. Then uh, the excess corporate cash that's supporting that and the capital releases from the Chicago Skyway that falls away. They don't have the cash flow to support 40 cents. They had something closer to it before the French government decided to put a new tax on French uh, concessions, uh, which knocked their cash flows around in a meaningful way. will be interesting to see um, how well they are able to protect their rights under that concession um, by getting some sort of compensation. That's an upside devaluation. I don't think anyone's baking it in. It's a multi-year type event. So um, uh, just I think everyone's not going to be willing to pay up for that. In terms of valuation, look, I think this is a sort of high four to low $5 sort of business as usual type valuation for this portfolio. Um, why is the target higher? Well, IFM's still there. IFM has crept its uh, stake in the business higher. It has a board seat, so you know it's obviously showing continued interest in the business. So we've got to think about you know if and when there will be a takeover. So that's where my my target price tries to capture some of that potential upside. Um, but I just don't see it as being compelling buying at these levels when you've got to pay up for some of that potential for that takeover. Um, the final one is Dalrymple Bay. Um, uh, that's the one that uh, I've had an ad on for quite some time now. Look, it's. Highly certain revenues um, with all the risk mitigants uh, wrapped around it, meaning um, because it's just such a high margin business, effectively like a triple net lease structure, if you sort of understand what that is from a REITs perspective. Um, so uh, sort of really good risk adjusted returns. I think probably there's the two key events you should be watching for. Uh, first up, the March CPI. So that feeds into the annual um, revenue escalation that happens from July. And also the other sort of key driver of that is what the uh, the ten year bond rate is for the last two months going into the end of that year. That both of those will drive through into what the revenue growth is from one July, which then plays through into what distribution growth is actually going to be from um, from one July. Um, I think that's still going to be a pretty solid sort of mid to low sort of single you know in that sort of range single digit sort of growth rates coming through. 
uh, I know a lot of us have had our eye on what the meaning of this transition plan is that they've announced through the sustainability report. So effectively, they've said they're going to be um, diversifying away from single asset risk uh, and single sort of location risk. Um, so, and, and that's basically talking M&A. So to me, the, the, the big sort of thing was who is going to be the new CEO and what's their direction going to be. They have made that announcement. Um, I know of the new CEO. Uh, he used to be the head of Horizons Network Business. He was the guy that actually negotiated the long-term um, agreement with their customer growth that sort of broke away from the, the regulatory sort of environment that they had previously. So I think he's got some some uh, sort of runs on the board on that front in terms of dealing with uh, coal investor group, understanding the regulatory side of things. But until he starts in March, uh, we won't have a chance to actually sort of question him and and see what his desires are in terms of steering the ship here. But um, that to me is kind of like the, the sort of the key risk in terms of uh, are they going to use M&A in a way that could potentially blow up value, um, which would mean that we don't get the benefit of the, the sort of the great risk-adjusted returns from the existing assets. Um, so just the one to, to watch on that front.